Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monmouth College Conversations. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and every week during the academic year, I sit down with members of the Monmouth College community to talk to them about their interests, what they do, and things they've done. In this fourth edition of Monmouth College Conversations for the 2023-2024 school year, we're going to talk to Lauren Lurkins. Lauren is the founder of Lurkin Strategies, and she will give this year's Wistwell Robeson Lecture. It will be held at 7 o'clock in the evening on Monday, September 11th in the college's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. The New Defense of Farmers, Why Farmers Should Be Actively Engaged in Environmental Policy Issues, is the title of Lauren Lurkin's Wistwell Robeson Lecture. The seventh edition of the always outstanding Monmouth College Lecture will be held at 7 in the evening on Monday, September 11th in the college's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. You can read a preview of Lauren's talk in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website. Just point your browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash news. The Wiswell Robeson Lecture was founded in 2016 through a gift from 1960 Monmouth graduate Jean Giddings Robeson of Monmouth, Illinois. The lecture's purpose is to annually feature a speaker from the agricultural community who explores issues, challenges, and innovations in the industry. Jean and her late husband, Don Robeson, who was a 1954 Monmouth graduate, operated their farm in Warren County. Lauren Lurkins is the founder of Lurkin Strategies, an agricultural policy veteran. Lauren served as the director of environmental policy at the Illinois Farm Bureau for more than a decade. In that position, she was responsible for advocating on behalf of the organization in the implementation and the enforcement of local, state, and federal environmental legislation and regulation that affected Illinois agriculture. She connected with various state and federal agencies and developed and coordinated the organization's environmental programs, communications, and information. Lauren says that her new defense of farmers evolved from nearly two decades of that work in agriculture. What I plan to talk about when I'm on campus is uh, a presentation that I've titled, titled The New Defense of Farmers and Why Farmers Should Be Actively Engaged in Environmental Issues. I can tell you a little bit about my background and what I'm doing today, but in 17 years of working on environmental issues, 10 of those um, and counting working for farmers, I think there is, is definitely no shortage of issues that come at you know, that arrive at the farm gate, either from the federal government or the state government. Um, but, but with all of those challenges and issues, there's a ton of opportunities. Um, so my thought is, as a trained defense attorney, that there is a super strong defense that farmers have, and, and largely that's getting engaged in whatever way they're comfortable getting engaged in, whether it's a group like a commodity group or the Farm Bureau or them individually. There's a lot of opportunities, but um, letting them pass them by is, is probably the, the choice that they will regret the most, I believe. Do you think uh, farmers have been uh, too complacent over the years and not engaged enough? Because 
you know, the agriculture community, I guess, can be kind of insular in, in a way. I mean, everybody knows everybody in the agriculture community. Everybody talks in the agriculture community. But to those on the outside, uh, they, they, they may not know as much of what, what's happening in agriculture. Well, I, I guess my perspective is a little unique on that. I did not, I was not raised on a farm. I was raised in Southern Illinois. My dad and his dad were prison guards and I didn't want to be a prison guard. Um, but I, I was a trained attorney focused on environmental issues. Um, and so I do come from sort of outside of agriculture and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word complacent, but I think it's a world that's very familiar, obviously to the people that live in it and maybe um, a lack of awareness that not everybody understands what it's like to to live on a farm, to work on a farm, to have been raised on a farm. And that doesn't mean that those lifestyles outside of the farm are wrong or um, but it's just a, a great opportunity to to talk to other people, not, you know, educate them, but have communication with them. Um, and so I think that I was able to bring, and I hope I still do bring, um, that outsider perspective to say, well, you know, a curiosity, not, um, but, but not, and, and kind of a lack of awareness of the day to day. So, um, I think it's very important to kind of bust outside of those echo chambers and talk to people, um, both, you know, kind of coming from both sides inside agriculture and then outside. Without giving away too much of your talk, uh, what what are some things that you think uh, the farm community can do to better engage? Well, so I, I work in the world of environmental regulation and that that list can come at farmers from the state level and the federal level. For the most part, I think, you know, let's just look at 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 things on the environmental issue, they could start at the federal level and then dip down into the states. But, you know, if you're looking at EPA or USDA just today, frankly, in my email inbox, we've got issues on climate change with significant amounts of money being spent in conservation programs, conversations about the next farm bill and what that will um, do with regard to either climate or conservation. Um, we're dealing with US EPA and their decisions on pesticide use, fertilizer use, and the raising um, and management of livestock and manure. Um, and so those are all, that's just a short list of the issues that are, are coming about. Let me use one example. So um, with regard to livestock, some recent news that just came out um, yesterday from the US EPA is that they have been petitioned twice from environmental groups, some here in the state of Illinois saying, you need to redo all of your rules with regard to CAFOs, as we call them, livestock. And because of the engagement at the um, at the membership level, at the, at the federal level, that constant engagement with political folks and career staff, US EPA, you know, the agriculture community is not in this conversation. So you have to bank on the relationships that have been built, the information that has been shared, um, US EPA actually just denied two of those petitions for environmental groups and said, no, we are not going to do what you ask us to do because we're doing these other things. And the other things are really reflective of the, the efforts that have happened with livestock groups and the farm bureaus over the past literally 30 years. Um, and they're going to continue. And so US EPA says, no, we're going to continue to engage with the livestock community and others um, before we decide to piecemeal it and do what you said. So, 
you know, it seems like we've been talking about, say, environmental regulation of livestock for decades and decades and decades. And yet it's still important because people are still making the arguments that it's it's harmful to the environment and we have to show up and continuously engage in those conversations. That way, those decisions that are made by the regulators actually reflect reality. I, I don't know who said this and it may, may be a, an apocryphal uh, quote, but I once heard someone say that uh, America's farmers were really the first environmentalists. A lot of people don't realize that. Yes. And I think that when I came into agriculture 10 years ago, I, I heard that a lot from the farmers that I represented. And I heard, you know, we do the right thing. We are. And, and I think I have always felt like that may be true. But again, this is probably because I'm trained as a defense attorney. You have to prove that, you know, and it's also the world that we live in. People don't take that at face value anymore. And so you have to show people that you care, show people what you do, be a little bit more transparent. Like you said, have those conversations outside of your industry and your, you know, sort of world right around you and, and be a little bit more transparent overall about what you're doing. Um, I think that's where, you know, that, that strong offense, like we talked about is really the best defense here. And, and it's being very proactive in that messaging and in the action. You're listening to Monmouth College Conversations. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. I'm talking to Lauren Lurkins. She's the founder of agricultural consulting firm Lurkins Strategies, and she will deliver the 7th Wiswell Robeson Lecture on Monday, September 11th in the college's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. Before we get back to my conversation with Lauren, a reminder that Mama's award-winning Classics Day will be held on Saturday, September 30th. This will be Classics Day, Roman numeral 6, and it will be held from 1 to 4 in the afternoon at the college's stunning Trubeck Amphitheater. You can learn more about Classics Day, Roman numeral 6, in the Monmouth calendar. For more information about that day, just point your internet browser to monmouthcollege.edu slash calendar and click on September 30th. Now let's get back to my conversation with Lauren Lurkins of Lurkins Strategies. Lauren will deliver the 7th Wiswell Robeson Lecture on Monday, September 11th in the college's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. As Lauren mentioned, she did not grow up on a farm, but she grew up in a community that was heavily dependent on the agriculture industry. Right. Well, so like I said, I grew up in a small town in Southern Illinois. I grew up in Marion. My family for generations had been down there. Obviously, there were some farming ties coming over from Germany and and farm families before that, but not in the generations as I knew them. But obviously, small town, um, Illinois. Um, I wanted to be an environmental lawyer, though. I went to St. Louis University, majored in environmental science, and then went back to Southern Illinois for law school at SIU Carbondale um, because they had an environmental professor. She's still there. And I was able to take as many classes as as I could and still take classes for the bar exam, which is your, your main goal. Um, but you know, that, that gave you just a little bit of a taste of the clean air act, the clean water act, fertilizer regulation. And that's dated now, you know, that was over 17 years ago for me. So I'm sure the, the, the law school classes are a lot 
you know, more diverse than they were even then. Um, but out of law school, I moved to our state capital and I worked for a private law firm um, for over seven years on uh, we all we did was environmental law. Um, we defended people if they were being sued by US EPA or our state agencies. And then we also helped folks um, just comply and understand the complex environmental world. Some of those clients were farmers, some of them were ag retail facilities, but largely they were outside of agriculture. They were, um, well, we had ethanol plants, petroleum refineries, chemical plants, you know, everybody who, who already, and, and drinking and wastewater utilities, they're already in that regulated world. Um, my family, my husband had an opportunity to relocate to Bloomington for his career. And that is what brought me to the Farm Bureau. Um, when I was at the law firm, I we did a lot of the policy, the advocacy stuff for the state chamber at that point. And so I had some exposure to the Farm Bureau and to the advocacy groups that, that show up in these regulatory meetings for the most part. Um, in Springfield. And so I always, I, I never really loved like the courtroom litigation side of being a lawyer. And I always loved the, the policy side. So when I saw there was an opening at the Illinois Farm Bureau doing environmental policy, I thought that was awesome. So I've actually spent the last 10 years um, doing that, uh, working with my colleagues in Springfield and in DC um, and with our farmer members um, to work on legislative, regulatory, and then a little bit of legal work as well. We do, did have another side of the, of the building that worked on the legal aspects. Um, and just about a month ago, I left the Farm Bureau to pursue my own efforts um, I have a consulting firm called Lurkin Strategies LLC now, where I actually represent quite a few different um, either trade associations or individual companies on that environmental policy and regulatory work. So basically doing the same things, presenting um, people and cases to EPA and USDA. Um, I also spend a great deal of time working in academia, trying to support largely the folks at the University of Illinois as they try to get um, funding and and also try to get projects done in the state of Illinois. And I'd love to expand that into other areas. And then the third area of my work is actually um, investor and, and venture capital sustainability advising, um, because there's a lot of money, and I'll talk about this here in a minute, that, that folks want to spend on startups focused on ag tech with about 99% focus on sustainability. So having an idea of what's happening in the federal government or the state government, or even on, at the farm gate uh, with regard to that is incredibly important for people. And I, I can bring that um, sort of level of understanding these discussions as well. Talk a little bit about that interest on the investment side. Uh, you, it seems like that's a topic you read and hear a lot more about these days. Right. So um, that it is absolutely um, the, the conversations that, that where I find them are either in the world of sustainability, corporate sustainability, or even environmental and social governance issues, this ESG push where, you know, either consumers are demanding it or investors are demanding it. Um, people want to know the carbon footprint of things, the carbon intensity score of different things. Um, and I know it, it can be 
partisan. It can be a concept that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people, but it is something that is um, taking up a lot of, of energy and time. And obviously the federal government may get involved in some other ways, but you've got corporate America making commitments and then trying to figure out very quickly how to how to um, really own up and, and live up to those commitments that they've made. And so on the environmental side, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, of new technologies, uh, whether it's biologicals, when you look at like fertilizer products or big data, data-driven analyses where, you know, you're looking at basically agriculture with a smaller uh, impact on the environment. And that can take a lot of different forms, um, but it's all kind of geared at people in companies looking at ways to reduce their footprint and make sure that they can show the investors, the consumers, what they've been doing to own up to that. So I guess for those who wonder whether ESG is going to be a fad and fade away, you might tend to think it's going to be a permanent part of the landscape for a while. Yeah, you know, I, I know that in having worked for the Farm Bureau, that that is not a popular um idea, but I did listen to um, a couple of legal webinars on um, the issue and one guy said it and he said, trying to fight ESG is like trying to fight gravity. And I thought, well, that is uh, very interesting to hear, um, you know, when when you have people sort of making these investments in in different technologies with that in mind um, and public reporting in mind, um, it's going to continue those resources. I think though, even though it can be sort of a heartburn point for a lot of people in agriculture, not really knowing where it's gonna land, I think there's a lot of opportunities. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for farmers to speak up. Um, again, find your avenue for speaking up, whether it's individually or through organizations that you work closely with, but make sure that that you're showing up and talking to people um, in whatever way that's a constructive conversation on what sort of ag tech would even be helpful. Um, when I was at the Farm Bureau, I took groups of, of farmers to visit venture capital or visit, say, United Airlines to talk about their sustainable aviation fuel commitments. And I personally believe that farmers um, are sitting on a lot of knowledge and a lot of um, opinions that Again, like we said before, uh, people outside of agriculture, that that's very valuable to them to hear when it's said in a very constructive way. Um, ag tech, I think, fuels uh, people like a United Airlines, for instance, are looking at sustainable aviation fuel, how they can continue to run a fleet of, of planes across our globe while also making sure that they can show uh, minimized impact on the environment. They're wanting to make fuel out of things they've never made fuel out of before. That can be corn, that can be soybeans, that can be things like pennycress, uh, which we talk a lot about in the western part of the state of Illinois and here in Bloomington where I'm at because you've got research that, that's happening on how to genetically modify a pennycress um, what's essentially a weed into something that can be jet fuel one day. And so, you know, the farmers that I've worked closely with and that, that would share their feelings on that, they're, they're very intrigued when big oil and big ag are working together and they're, and when big oil is showing interest in corn and soybeans, that's intriguing to, to individual farmers, but it also is a little bit terrifying. Like 
what is the, where is this world going? Um, it could look very different in five to 10 years. That's Lauren Lurkins. She's the founder of the agricultural consulting firm Lurkin Strategies, and she will deliver the seventh Wiswell Robeson Lecture on Monday, September 11th in the college's Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. It promises to be a great lecture. I've heard Lauren speak before, and I highly recommend attending this year's Wiswell Robeson Lecture if you happen to be in or near the Maple City come this September 11th. You can read a preview of Lauren's Wiswell Robeson Lecture in the News and Events section of the Monmouth College website. And that address is, of course, monmouthcollege.edu news. And that's a wrap on this fourth episode of Monmouth College Conversations for the 2023-2024 school year. You can tell us what you think or add to the conversation by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put conversation in the subject line. Until our next conversation, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody, and have a nice day. Thank you.